Hello, people. We're plowing through Matthew. That's right. We are plowing through Matthew. Matthew 5 through 7 today. Oh, boy. Clearly, I'm not going to read all three chapters. And a lot could be highlighted here. But I think I'll just connect with the beginning and the end first. And then I want to come back and just talk about the topic of the law. So that's that's what I'd like to accomplish in these 20 minutes with you guys. So Matthew 5 through 7, let's hit the beginning and the end of this. I think there's a literary structure there that we've got to recognize. And then the topic of the law. That's the game plan. <clears throat> so Matthew 5 starts with this. Seeing the crowds... Jesus went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So, huh. Remember that Matthew is painting Jesus as a new Moses figure, who both of them have had Egypt experiences, water, wilderness, and now they both go up a mountain. <laughs> So uh, I think that's pretty clear, and this is fairly unique to Matthew in doing this. There are allusions to Jesus being Moses in the other Gospels, but Matthew really drives this home, probably in large part due to the very Jewish audience that Matthew is uh, writing to. So going up a mountain, and if Moses went up a mountain— he went up, and if you remember, others were invited with Moses. So 70 elders were invited, and they were able to go up halfway. And not all the way up to the top of the mountain, but there were elders who followed with Moses. And, of course, here we have the disciples following Jesus, and they're going up a mountain. Moses is going to receive the the law, not just the Ten Commandments. He's going to receive the law. And, of course, that's what's going on in Leviticus, right? You get a description of, of all of that. And, well, guess what Jesus is going to talk a whole lot about? He's going to talk a lot about the law. So that's where I want to go in a little bit. But I do want to just recognize that in Matthew 7, uh, what it says here at the end, it says that um, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was one who had authority. He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And then he'll be going down the mountain. So there is an authority that Jesus has as he talks that is unlike what scribes and what rabbis of that time would would talk uh, in such a way that they would they would just quote a prior rabbi and Jesus doesn't quote a prior a prior rabbi he just straight up gives his interpretation of the passage from the Old Testament. And he'll do that pretty often throughout this section. And it throws people off. 
it really throws people off. He is teaching as one with authority. So that's what's going on there. Different than the way rabbis of that time would. They wouldn't teach with this kind of authority. They would just refer to a prior rabbi. So let's let's get to the, the conversation about the law. <clears throat> Jesus said, do not think, this is verse 17 of chapter 5, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Those are uh, strokes of a pen with ink and a yoda, which is just straight down, and a dot, of course. We can probably all figure out that one. Jesus says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And you read that and you think, oh, that kind of sounds like the Pharisees. I mean, make sure that you don't relax on one of the least of these commandments. Really just hammer home those commandments and do them all perfectly. But then Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, and you think there's something different going on here. It's something that the Pharisees and scribes are not doing. And of course, they're the ones that are all about following the law in the first century. And from what I've heard, guys, the Pharisees started as a religious group with really good intentions. The ideas of calling Israel back to covenant obedience so hundreds of years before Jesus is born, the Pharisees are around and they're calling the people of God to obey the law. But clearly things go off the rails and there's no group that Jesus confronts more than the Pharisees and their understanding and application of the law. So... He says, if you act like the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember, kingdom of heaven doesn't mean going somewhere. It doesn't refer to a reality beyond. Because he has already said the kingdom of heaven is here. And so he's saying that I have brought my kingdom and the Pharisees don't get it. And so they won't be able to participate in my kingdom if they don't understand um, who I am and what I'm doing. So let me just read a couple examples of how Jesus quotes the Old Testament law and what he says, how he provides his authoritative interpretation. And then I want to talk a little bit about our view of the law and what that looks like um, with how we how that influences how we read about what Jesus is doing here. Because 
I feel like I was brought up and taught that Jesus was bringing a new law that is different from the law of the Old Testament. And I don't, I don't think that's correct. So maybe it was just my misunderstanding of what was going on here. Um, but I also wonder if um, when we read something like Jesus saying in some of the other gospels, a new command I give you, dot, dot, dot. And so what does Jesus's interpretation have to do uh, with uh, the law of the Old Testament? And why is Jesus saying he's come to fulfill it if he's giving new commands? So I don't think the, the phrase, a new commandment I give you, is in this passage in Matthew. I know it's in John, um, but uh, let me read a little bit. You have heard it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders is liable to judgment. So we've got... Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 being quoted here. Then Jesus says, but I say to you, so there's the mic drop there, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire or it's Gehenna of fire. So Jesus says, if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest the accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge, the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. So that's interesting. Jesus says, I want to talk to you guys about my kingdom. I want to talk to you guys about my kingdom. Um, or, sorry, earlier, I'm just going to backtrack real quick for context. When he shares the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who have this humility about them, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what he's going to be describing is the way his kingdom operates and who uh, are those that are identified as citizens of his kingdom because you can see them in how they live and how they act and how they fulfill the law and so here is one example where he quotes the old testament but what jesus is going to do is he's going to get at the heart of the Old Testament law, the intent of it. Another one is lust. You've heard it said, verse 27, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intents already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here Jesus says, so here's the deal. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away better to lose one of the members of your whole body than, than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members and the whole body be thrown into hell. And that language of throwing away, 
probably is paralleling the idea of you being thrown away into hell or Gehenna, which I think we talked about that in the, the last uh, semester. So Jesus quotes a one of the Ten Commandments again, and he gives his interpretation. He describes what's going on, the intent of, of that law. Next one is um, on divorce. So here he, he goes outside of the, the Ten Commandments. Um, it was also said in um, Deuteronomy 24 now, he's quoting, whoever divorces his wife, let, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That I recognize is a difficult passage. Um, and scholars debate um, what's going on there and how that all plays out. But again, we see this pattern of Jesus quoting the Old Testament law and getting to the heart of it. So I'm going to skip down and um, highlight uh, the last section here about love. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is an interesting, uh, so Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's really interesting that we don't get the uh, hate your enemy part there, do we? Um, so I'm actually kind of curious where that where that comes from. Um, I feel like I remember hearing that uh, this was added. So, because it doesn't say, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin against him. So, I don't, I don't see where it says in Leviticus, at least, um, to hate your enemy. <laughs> uh, but clearly they were very good at doing that. Jesus says, verse 44, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. Um, and um, he's going to say that be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I'm, I'm going to skip ahead to just something in Matthew 7 real quick um, where Jesus is going to make a comment. And um, you've heard this before where he speaks of what sums up the law and the prophets. It's the, the golden rule. So Isaiah, uh, sorry, Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish to do to others, uh, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. So what's going on there with him summarizing the law and the prophets? I want to read something to you guys that um, my wife and I put together uh, for our church. So it's about the law. <clears throat> the prophets in the Old Testament long for the day when God would enable his people to 
actually follow the law. So here we have prophets and law put together there. In Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 6, the prophet Moses looked to the day when God would bring Israel back from exile and they would follow God's law. But it's going to be after God circumcises their hearts. That's the language. So notice now we've got this idea of a return from exile, which we've been talking about in Matthew. And an obedience to the law is finally going to happen. So Jesus is picking up all this language here. So check out Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the law, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, here's what God says. God says, I'm going to give to Israel a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and careful to obey my rules. In the New Testament, Jesus and Paul both summarize the law. When a lawyer asked Jesus for the greatest commandment, he responds in Matthew 22, saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The first, this is the great and first commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus claims that he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill the law. And then he proceeds to explain Initially, he appears to be giving new laws. However, Jesus actually is clarifying the original intent of Mosaic law. The Pharisees contend to obey the letter of the law, but Jesus wants us to seek beyond adherence to rules and, and find justice and love and mercy in our hearts. The, the act of summarizing the law was actually a pretty common thing guys, and there's actually quite a few uh, references in the Old Testament to people doing this. So one of them you've heard of before, it's really famous, it's Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Uh, this, this gets uh, summarized um, in Isaiah 56, verse 1. Isaiah summarizes the law. Keep justice and do righteousness. And Habakkuk sums it up in one command. Habakkuk 2.4, the justice, the, sorry, the righteous shall live by faith. And then Amos 5.4, even more precise, seek me and live. <laughs> so um, Psalm 15 is a good place to go to think about how summarizing the law was a common thing. Isaiah 33, verse 15 is another one. But I think I just want you to, to recognize, guys, that it was common to think about the ideal behind the law. This was something that people before Jesus had done. Jesus is acting like one of these prophets, saying, what is the law all pointing to? It is pointing to a righteousness that one has that exceeds the Pharisees. It's a righteousness that um, is about loving God 
and loving others. Jesus wasn't coming to give a new law. He was coming to live out the intent and the reality of the law that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests. And by following the law that God gave to Israel, nations would have been amazed. Um, but they failed. And so here Jesus has come to put on display the law of Moses and the intent of the law of Moses and what it means to love God and to love others. This is the kingdom movement that Jesus is bringing about, and he's calling people to join in his kingdom. And those that join are blessed, but it's unlike what uh, others uh, would expect about a king and the kingdom movement and the citizens of it are people that would not be ex expected uh, as well. And so they are those who are meek, uh, who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. So I hope that uh, some of these ideas challenge you as they challenge me.